hopefully in a fresh, encouraging way. I'm going to read them one more time. This is what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, kind, and my burden is light. So before I get into the exposition of the text, I want to give credit to where credit is due, and that is that a lot of this material and uh, this passage really has made a lot more sense to me through reading Dane Orland's book, Gentle and Lowly. If you don't have a copy of that, we have free ones here at the church. It will bless you. So please grab one of those if you don't uh, have one of those. But I want to simply highlight three things through the remainder of our time over the next 18 minutes or so. One, uh, Jesus is going to give us an invitation. This invitation is not just available to the non-Christian, though it is. This is the passage that the Lord Jesus used to save me in 2011. Everything that I had conceived about what Christianity was and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and all of those things leading up to the year 2011 when the Lord, when the Holy Spirit opened my heart to see the truth of this passage for the first time, it was counterintuitive to those things. It crumbled the foundation that I had built in my life, built on sand, which was this concept and idea that the Christian life was about cleaning myself up and then coming to God. Getting myself right, doing the right thing, living a moral life, and then coming to God out of that place. And that's, that's when God's going to accept me. He's going to accept me when I clean myself up and do the right thing and learn a lot about the Bible and, and, and then come to him. And God used this verse in a, in a sweet, life-altering way for me to, to deconstruct that idea that just isn't, it isn't true. So it is a grand invitation for the non-Christian in the room. It's also an invitation for the Christian in the room. Jesus does not invite us to come to a system of thought or a new teaching regarding how to live a better life or be better people. It's not what he tells us to come to. Jesus does not invite us to come to the law of Moses. He does not say, come to the law and be transformed. Jesus doesn't invite us into a doctrine or a study or a ministry. Jesus beckons and invites us and calls us graciously into his very self. Not a theoretical idea, not a notion, not a seven-step process on how to live a better more fulfilling life. Jesus' invitation for you and I this morning is to come to him, to his person. For the non-Christian, Jesus does not say, clean yourself up through your own works before you come. He simply calls you to come to him right now. He says, come to me. For the Christian, Jesus calls us to come to him. This call to come to Jesus is like repentance. It's not a one and done thing. It's not just something that you and I do at the moment of conversion. This coming to Jesus is a lifestyle thing in which Jesus who holds all things together, who loves us more deeply, more perfectly, more passionately, more devotedly than you and I could ever fully conceive is Jesus who holds all of our circumstances in his glorious hands, 
who does all things for our good and flourishing to the glory of the Father, this Jesus invites you and I every moment of every day to come to him. When we're worried, he's inviting us to come to him. When we're anxious, he's inviting us to come to him. When we're afraid, he's inviting us to come to him. When we're succumbing to the same temptation and sin again, he's inviting us to come to him. When we're doubting the goodness of God, he says, come to me. When we're lamenting the loss of a loved one, Jesus beckons us to come to him. When we're uncertain about the future, Jesus beckons us to come to him. And so what then does it mean to come to him? We've all, many of us have read this passage. We've maybe memorized it even. What does it mean to come to Jesus? Oswald Chambers says, the attitude of coming is that the will resolutely lets go of everything and deliberately commits all to him. Another author says to come means to believe. It's Acts 16.31. To receive. It's John 1.12. To eat. John 6.35. To drink. John 7.37. To look. Isaiah 45.22. To confess. 1 John 4.2. To hear. John 5.24. To enter a door. John 10.9. To open a door. Revelation 3.20. To touch the hem of his garment, Matthew chapter 9, and to accept the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is what it means to come to him. And he's inviting everybody in the room to come. Who's invited? It's another question. Who, who are called? This is what he says in the text. All who labor and are heavy laden. One author notes that the burden that you and I carry, whether we're a Christian or a non-Christian, does not, should not keep us from coming to Jesus. It is the very thing that qualifies us to come to Jesus. The burden of sin, the burden of suffering, the burden of uncertainty, the burden of anxiety, the burden of depression. Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's who's invited to come. This promise of rest that Jesus is going to give us in a moment, this promise does not apply to everybody. We see this in the previous verses of Matthew chapter 11. It says in Matthew eleven twenty, Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. So the promise that Jesus gives us of rest for those who come to him applies exclusively to the repentant. To the repentant. Those who labor, Jesus says. To labor carries the connotation of trying desperately to earn the love of the Father through their white-knuckled efforts, but knowing that they cannot, and so therefore they cry out to Jesus for help. Those who are heavy laden, those who are heavy laden are those who are bogged down with worries and concerns of many kinds that are outside of their control and who cry out to Jesus in that place. The broken, the needy, the downcast, the hopeless. If you can picture the scene in your mind of 
Jesus in the first century saying these kinds of things with a crowd of religious leaders overlooking his shoulder at all times, trying to find a place that he's going to misstep in his words so that they can execute him and get rid of him. Um, What was normative at the time was not, uh, hey, those who are needy and broken and downcast and outcast and at the end of their rope, those are the ones who are going to get rest. That, That wasn't the normative teaching at the time. Jesus is saying there's a level playing field now. It's not just the religious elite. It's not just the theologically astute. It's not the ones who know all the right answers and have lived the good morally upright life. This is for all. This is for the downcast and the downtrodden. Those who are heavy laden with their concerns. Those who are weary as a result of trying to labor for the love and affection of God. He invites those to come. These are those that Jesus extends his arms toward and says with irresistible grace, come to me. He says, come to me. What's Jesus' promise? Jesus' promise is that he will provide rest for our souls. And this is what we desire, isn't it? Many of us. This is what I long for. A quiet heart. A calming of the internal storms that are fueled by what others think or what we think they think. The storm of believing that God looks on us with a perpetual frown or that his primary disposition toward us is one of anger or that his grace applies to everybody but us. We desire a quiet heart. We desire rest. A quiet heart in the midst of our darkest seasons of pain and loss where we rightly lament our sufferings but we do not do so without hope. We desire a quiet heart and Jesus is promising that for all who would come to him. All who are heavy laden, all who are weary are invited to come in order to find rest. As Augustine said, we will not find rest until we find rest in thee. He's inviting us in for rest. To understand what rest means, we're going like real Puritan right now, just kind of dissecting the the verse. To understand what rest means, we have to understand Jesus' illustration of yoke. A heavy yoke was a horizontal beam that was placed on the back of cattle intended to carry farm equipment long distances, and it would weigh down the cattle. That's, That's what... That's the picture that's painted here. And so when Jesus says that my burden is easy and my yoke is light, another way to translate that, which would be a literal translation of the word uh, easy, would be kind. Jesus is saying that my yoke is kind. Jesus' yoke is like a life preserver being thrown out to the struggling and weary person drowning at sea. His light yoke is... His easy yoke is like, as one author says, helium in a balloon. It's intended to lift out. It's intended to produce lightness and joy and quietness of heart and peace of heart. That's that's the yoke of Jesus. The Christian life, then, in light of that reality, is not a redoubled effort to do better or be better The Christian life is only lived out of an ever-deepening and daily communion with the living Christ whose yoke is kind and whose burden is light. That's, That's what fruitfulness in life comes out of. Fruitfulness in life does not come as a result of you and I, as I said earlier, white knuckling it to be better and do better. 
to be a better husband, to be a better wife, to be a better friend, to grit our teeth and just do it. Holiness doesn't come as a result of that. Holiness comes as a result of communion with God. Gazing upon the beauty of Christ, whose burden is easy and yoke is light. You and I all in the room carry burdens. Every one of us carries a burden. The law of Moses will not take away that burden. Looking into the law of the Bible and seeking to abide by the law of the Bible, the law is good, Paul says in Romans 7, 6 and 7, but to look into the law as a means to remove our burden will only lead to a heavier burden. The pursuit of living a good moral life will not take the burden away. It will only lead to a heavier burden. The only thing that will remove the burden from our back is the cross of Christ. Where Jesus, who never sinned, who knew no sin, perfectly God, perfectly man, lived a perfect life in perfect obedience to God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, went to the cross and died our death. Died the death that you and I deserve to die once for all, declaring with his lips, Before his death, it is finished. Buried in the ground or buried in the grave, three days later, the stone is rolled away and death is defeated. And Christ appears to his disciples. He ascends back to the right hand of the Father where he now rules and reigns and one day will return to establish his kingdom on earth forever. Only Christ in his work on our behalf will take the burden away. Only Christ and his work on our behalf will lift us out from the heavy yoke of sin and law and to live the Christian life out of that place of communion with God. So I want to conclude for the next few minutes by uh, looking at him. So we've, we've talked about what Jesus has invited us to. Come to me. So what the Christian life is, is a commitment, an allegiance, a trust, a following of a person. Come to me. He's opened it up for all who are weary and heavy laden. And he's promised rest, that he would give us a lightness. Rest doesn't mean he's going to eradicate the difficult circumstances the, the tragedy, the death, the suffering that you and I experience on a day-to-day basis. That's not what easy yoke means. But that he will be with us in all of it. Walking with us in all of it. Lifting us up into his embrace. So I want to conclude by just looking at the heart of Jesus. As Ortland says, there's one place in the entire Bible that talks about the very heart of Christ. And in that place, Jesus could have said a lot of things. Could have said, I'm holy in heart. I'm righteous in heart. I'm powerful in heart. He's all of those things. I'm sovereign in heart. But he says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. The heart in scripture is the central animating center of all that we do and all that we are. 
And so as Ortland says, it's what gets us up in the morning and what we daydream about as we drift off to sleep. It is our motivating headquarters. Jesus himself says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we've talked about this as a church before. We've, we've wrestled through these things uh, that our outbursts of anger are not because of the other person. Our franticness in life is not because of our circumstance. None of that means that the other person is a difficult. None of that stuff, none, none of that means that the circumstances aren't excruciatingly dark. But what comes out of you and I is what is inside of you and I. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. James it's not a beat around the bush kind of guy says what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He's talking about the heart, your heart and my heart for you and I friends, our actions are direct results, not of our circumstances, but of what's going on in our hearts. The heart is not a part of who we are. It is the center of who we are. And while it may be a very bleak picture and certainly wouldn't be helpful or appropriate for us to leave this place gazing upon or into our own heart, Jesus gives us a glimpse into his. And so we have the opportunity to take our eyes off of our own sin and imperfections and to put them on the perfection of Christ's very heart. And this is what Jesus says about his heart, that he is gentle and and lowly in heart. What a profoundly amazing thing for Jesus to tell us. To be gentle means to be meek. Matthew 5, 5 says, blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. It's the same word. Matthew 21, 5, when Jesus is riding in on the triumphal entry, it says, behold, your king is coming to you humble, and mounted on a donkey. Same word. First Peter 3, 4, talking about husbands and wives, Peter speaks to the wife and he says, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Same word. In other words, Jesus is meek, Humble, he's not harsh. He's not reactionary or easily angered. He's not trigger happy. He's the most understanding person in the universe. This does not mean that Jesus doesn't have wrath towards sin, as we'll see in the book of Revelation. But toward the penitent, toward the repentant, Toward the broken and the heavy laden and the weary who cry out to him, he's gentle in heart. This is, this is who he is. It's as Ortland says, it's what gets him up in the morning, so to speak. This is the very center of who Christ is. He's gentle. And the second thing that he says about himself is that he's lowly. Another word for lowly is humble. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
The word humble in this context is not so much humility as a virtue, but humility in the sense of destitution or being thrust down by life circumstances. It's what Paul talks about in Romans 12, 16, when he says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Jesus is not one who you and I must put on our best mask before coming into. The point is to say that Jesus is the most accessible person in the universe. He's gentle in heart toward the repentant. He's not quick to anger. And at the same time, and we see this all throughout his life on earth, he is the most interruptible and accessible being in all of the universe. He's never too busy for you. He's never too distracted for you. He's fully and completely, totally accessible. It's not just something he does. It's who he is. He is this for his people. And so, friends, Jesus is inviting you and I this morning out of whatever storm we come in with, whether we're laboring to try to earn the approval of God or smooth out our life, or whether we're bogged down by life circumstances and are heavy laden. Jesus' desire for you and I that is even stronger than our desire for rest. Jesus' desire for you and I, his invitation for you and I is to come to him. And so we do that now. We come to him. I want to pray.